Hello, I'm Evan Novi Williams. And I'm Michael Barr. Scott is off today. And this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Uh, let's start with probably one of the more shocking retirements, at least this year. Uh, Colts quarterback Andrew Luck, just 29, says that he is going to retire. It is certainly isn't how I uh, envision this or plan this. Uh, but but I am going to retire. Uh, this is not an easy decision. Uh, honestly, it's the hardest decision of my life. Uh, but it is the right decision for me. Now, Andrew Luck has been through numerous injuries. He was uh, in the league since 2012. Uh, there was one year where uh, he just didn't play because he had suffered, I think it was something in his arm, where the, the shoulder, shoulder injury. Shoulder, yeah. yeah. And it, 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 I... I feel awful for him because, you know, you're giving up something that you love, but at the same time, too, uh, I feel, hey, he's trying to preserve himself, and because at 29, there's a lot of life still left. Yeah, he. I mean, he he played six NFL seasons, and as you said at the beginning, if you go through, you know, there's a long list of players who have retired early from the NFL. Um, I think this this and Barry Sanders might be the two the two most shocking. Uh, certainly, a lot of money on the table uh, here that he left. I mean, it, he's giving up future salary. Of course, it sounds like the twenty four million in bonuses that the Colts could have asked for back, they're choosing not to do, uh, which is a nice gesture from Jim Irsay. I don't believe the Lions extended that to either Barry Sanders or Calvin Johnson right. when they retired. Um, but if you think about the long term, if if Andrew Luck had been able to stay healthy. The, the shelf life for quarterbacks in this league is incredibly long if, you, if you're good enough, and it certainly seemed as though Andrew Luck was good enough. And, and Jim Irsay said it this weekend, the owner of the Colts, he may have made another $500 million in his career playing football if he had been able to extend it. Um, so certainly a lot of financial ramifications here for Andrew as well. Well, first, he's, he's got to stand up. When I mean, I don't mean that in a in a figurative sense. I'm talking literally. If you if you can't walk because there was a leg injury he was going through, and, and I mean, at some point your body says, look, I don't care if you're 29, 39, whatever. You've got to uh, just take it easy. Again, I feel bad for him because, uh, you know, it's hard to walk away from something you love. Yeah, I have a tweet here from Zach Kiefer, who's the Colts beat writer for The Athletic. Um, And you mentioned a few of this. But real quick, the, the physical toll on Andrew Luck during six NFL seasons. Torn cartilage in two ribs. Partially torn abdomen. A lacerated kidney that left him peeing blood. At least one concussion. A torn labrum in his throwing shoulder. And then this calf high ankle sprain that led to him retiring. Uh, so just think about that list for a second in six years. And I know Scott has said this on the program before, and he's right. If you take in an NFL game from the field level, the amount of violence and impact in one snap is is mind-blowing. And, and the idea that, you know, after six years that, that, that someone like Andrew Luck, and that's just six pro seasons. He played at Stanford. He played in high school. The idea that, that anyone at 29 decides, you know what? This might not be the future for my body. I don't understand how people can criticize that, and I'm sure you saw there are a lot of people out there oh, that yeah. are criticizing the decision. Yeah, and see, and that's uh, I, I, look. I, I have to take exception to it because, first of all, if, like you said, when you're on eye level and you see Oof. a professional football game, I'm going to take it down a level when I used to many years ago with the old USFL. And I think I told this story before. And uh, I was uh, working uh, for sound, holding a parabolic mic. And I'm on the sidelines, 
and all of a sudden here comes a sweet play and it's coming <laughs> right at me and it sounds like a thunderous herd of buffalo coming right at you mm-hmm. and of course the engineer climbs in my ears i'm with the headsets and says whatever happens save the mic I'm like, thank you anyway, <laughs> top priority yeah top priority the, here the equipment in your hand <laughs> but that, that that is what i'm talking about the intensity of the game and, and i know as fans we like to play armchair quarterback on mondays like i don't understand this and that whatever well <laughs> You go out there and play it. You go out there and get hit. And and, and I, I told somebody, you know, someone was saying, oh, my goodness, they, they can't take this hit. And I said, if they hit you one time and the state that you're in, you would be unconscious for two months. Mm-hmm. And, Agreed. And, yeah, yeah, I just I wish people would understand. Mm-hmm. And, and, and another, you know, another point to make on this, the I think every time someone retires, earlier than we expect, you know, you can have this discussion about whether this is a trend that's going to continue happening. I do think that this is this retirement scares the heck out of a lot of NFL owners and GMs and coaches. The idea that Andrew Luck um, at 29 years old, right after the season that he had, which was, I mean, he, he played fantastic last year. The idea that he would hang up his cleats and his pads uh, after that season with so much potential money looking ahead to him in the future, um, I think that scares people a lot. And, and let's not forget also Rob Gronkowski, That's right. you know, who, who was not criticized nearly as much as Andrew Luck was, but who retired this year with a lot, a couple more years easily on his playing career if he wanted to, largely because the physical toll on his body was something he didn't want to deal with anymore. Um, if you get to a point where more athletes are making this decision, and if Andrew Luck can do it, anyone can, um, I think that is that is a future that, that, that scares a lot of people that, that work in the NFL. You know, the Andrew Luck, take some time, man, just do what you got to do. To the friend of the program, Oliver Luck, his mm. father, uh, take some time, just talk with your son and, and you know, just experience life. I'm glad you mentioned that, Michael, because we had Oliver Luck on the pro- podcast last year and you asked him, hey, Oliver, how is Andrew's rehab going? And this is what he had to say. It was a, a challenging time for him and as, you know, by extension for a whole, our whole family, right? His, his girlfriend and we, he's got three siblings and for my wife and me, you know, he's like all these quarterbacks, right? He's competitive, he's driven, and when you can't play, you're in an awful mood. Yeah. <laughs> and he was in a bad mood, right? Because he basically did rehab for, you know, for a year after the labrum you know, surgery. Um, you know, as he likes to say, he, you know, it's a chance to sort of really reflect in a very deep way about who you are and what you are. And he looked into the abyss because there was a point where, you know, he wasn't sure if he could ever throw the ball again without, you know, serious pain. So uh, I'm delighted. My wife and I were delighted that he's back and able to play and throw and, you know, and play pretty well. Uh, And and we're really pleased because he's in a much better mood. (laughs) It wasn't much fun last year at Thanksgiving. This year he was great. You know, that, that does matter. And I think that's actually a really interesting point about the, the, the physical, the, the mental effect that physical rehab has on you, right? The, the way that going through that can affect your social life, your relationship with your family, with your loved ones. That story does not get told nearly enough. Um, but I wish the people that were criticizing Andrew Luck for retiring, I wish they could l- listen to that and I wish they could think about it. Up next, let's talk about the launch of the ACC Network, which is set to air 40 regular season college football games this season. Yeah, the ACC 
Atlantic Coast Conference has been talking about this for for 10 years now. Right. You know, right after the Big Ten launched its network with uh, Fox back in 2007, the ACC started thinking about, you know, hey, should we do the same thing? We're, we're seeing how ad sales and subscription fees, the, the, the tremendous amount of money in, in live TV for sports, should we do the same thing? And they decided it wasn't right for them at the time. They expanded a bit, you know, in, in, in 13 and 14, they added Pitt. Syracuse, Notre Dame for everything but football, Louisville. They, they became a conference that now spans the entire eastern seaboard from Boston and upstate New York all the way down to Miami, out west all the way to Indiana and and Kentucky. Uh, they became a real regional powerhouse. Now, in 2019, uh, they're launching the network. I'm amazed it took 10 years because, I mean, we all saw this coming. And, and, and kudos, I'm sure it's going to go off very well. Because we love our appetite for college football, uh, why did it take so? Long? Yeah, it's interesting. And and they're of the of the Power Five leagues: the the Big Ten, the SEC, the Big Twelve, the Pac Twelve, and the ACC. They're the fourth one to do this, right? The Big Ten was first. Uh, the Pac Twelve went next, doing it alone without a without a partner. The SEC, along with ESPN and Hearst, they did theirs in 2014, and now the ACC. And the reason the Big Twelve isn't there yet is because Texas has its own. Longhorn right. Network side deal with ESPN that makes that very difficult. Um, but yes, the ACC money-wise is the the fifth in that list of five. You know they share the least amount of money with their fellow schools. I think this was a case of they needed to be better in football. Clemson solved that. Um, they needed a, a more regional footprint. They got that. And now suddenly, in conjunction with ESPN, ESPN owns this network, but they will share the cost and they will share the revenue. Uh, 2019 is the time to launch it. I am shocked, by the way, as you had mentioned, that uh, college football season is here. Mm, yeah. it, it's not like, First well, two games yeah, it's coming, it's coming weekend, up. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I'm, oof, that's, no wonder why somebody dyed my hair gray. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting old real fast. Uh, finally, actually, Scott would have said, old real fast. It's like, I thought you were ancient already. <laughs> uh, so I said the joke for you, Scott. Thank you. There you go. Uh, finally, the U.S. Open in tennis Kicks off today in New York. Uh, what are you watching for? Yeah, I mean, the it's, it's amazing, and we've talked about this before, this idea that the, it's the same names. You know, the, the, the three male favorites are Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic, and Rafael Nadal. They've, they've won the last 11 Grand Slams. They were this, It feels like the same three guys that we were talking about back, back in 2010 at the U.S. Open. The main female favorite, Serena Williams, and I, and I would argue that that field is much more wide open. Um, but it's pretty amazing that you know we're still talking about really the same big names that we've been talking about in tennis for 10-plus years. You know why we're talking about those big names? Because Forbes came out with an article about the highest-paid tennis players in 2019 and leading the field, Roger Federer, at $93 million. Yeah, Roger Federer is the, is the in terms of athletes and off-court, off off-field, off-ice endorsements, is the undisputed king, right? He blows out everybody else. Um, but yeah, so Federer, Djokovic is next on that list. One thing interesting about this list, um, as we talk a lot about nowadays, about gender equity, pay equity in sports, if you look at the top 10 highest-earning tennis players, five of them are women. So you mentioned Serena Williams. She, she's number five on that list. The first four are men. But if you go beyond her, Naomi Osaka, last year's winner, is six. Alexander Zverev is seven. And then eight, nine, and ten are Angelique Kerber, Simona Halep, and Sloane Stevens. So 
of the top 10 highest earning tennis players, half of them are women. That's a, that's a very nice, uh, that's, that's a good balance for the sport. And in my opinion, I, I believe it's the only sport that is anything close to that, where, where, where the top 10 earners in the sport have half are men or half are women. And by the way, let's take Sloane Stevens for an example. She earned $9.6 million so far in 2019. Mm. Prize money, $4.1 million. Yep. Endorsements, $5.5 million, mm-hmm. which means there's a lot of coin in the endorsements. Absolutely. And and worth asking as well, you know, as we keep talking about these names, at some point, these guys are going to retire. Serena Williams is going to retire. Roger Federer is, what, 38, 37, 38, something like that? Um, What happens to tennis? You know, these dollars are going to have to go somewhere in some capacity. Um, And we keep hearing about this young group, especially on the male side, this young group of of men who eventually are going to challenge these big three. It hasn't happened yet. Um, But who knows? Maybe this U.S. Open, maybe the next three weeks are the time when when some big name, maybe it's Zverev, maybe it's Nick Kyrgios, who we talked to to Mark Ein about a a couple weeks ago, who's the most polarizing and possibly the most electric player <laughs> in the game. At some point, you know, someone that's not named Federer, Djokovic, or Nadal is going to win a men's Grand Slam, um, and that will be a big moment for tennis. This has been the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. I'm Michael Barr, along with Evan Novi williams Scott, he will be back on the show Wednesday. We miss him. Uh, we are here each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, exploring the world of money and sports. Join us again at the end of the week when we speak with Gary Stoken, the CEO and president of the Peach Bowl, uh, who has a lot of thoughts on how college football season starts. It'll be a good conversation. Oh, sweet. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio, around the world and online, wherever you get your podcasts.